Amen. If you have your Bibles with you this morning, if you would find Second Samuel, the 22nd chapter. We are finishing up our third part of our series on our battles belong to the Lord. And today I want to reiterate what we've been looking at, that um, all of us uh, have struggles in our life. We have valleys in our marriage, difficult in our uh, relationships with other people. We have health issues. We have issues of loss. Maybe today you're here and you're saying, Jake, God has been so good to us. We've not, we've not went through anything as this time. We're just blessed. Or maybe you're here and you're saying, Jake, we're just, we're just kind of, we're just holding course. We're not really doing well. We're not doing really bad. But what's going on in King David's life is King David has finally watched his enemies be defeated. He's finally come to a place where God has delivered him from the opposition, the difficulty, and the challenges that were against him. And chapter 22 is him just looking back over the course of his life and giving God the credit. And this is really important because when you and I read the Bible, we read it sometimes as its history. And so if you've ever read a history book, it can be very dull, it can be very uh, facts-oriented. But if you think back in your life through the valleys, through the highs and the lows, when you think of those moments, there are emotions that come with it. And so if you think of some of the greatest moments in your life, when you uh, had your first child and you think, oh, it was so great, or you got that promotion you didn't uh, think you were going to get, or maybe on the flip side of that, you lost a loved one, and when you think about that, the emotion that comes with it, when you think about someone betraying you that you never thought would betray you and, and, and the pain that comes from that, or maybe you're Think about when you got married, and that could be either or category. I don't know what you're going through today. But it's not just what has happened to you. It's all the emotion that comes with us. And David is writing this, and all of that history, and all of that emotion, and all of that that is coming out in him. And so when we read this, we need to remember that it is something that, that has changed him to his core. And today, if you're here and that is not your story, that you can't say, I know when God saved me and I know how God's been with me and I know that God's taking care of these things and, and I know when I was at rock bottom, the Lord was there. Then today I want to challenge you to really think about your relationship with the Lord. And we went through verses 1 through 28 last week, but I want to read verses 26 through 28 again because it really reminds us of how God looks at us and how God views us. And so if you would stand with me out of a reverence to the reading of God's Word. Starting in verse 26 of chapter 22, it says, With the merciful you will show merciful. You will show merciful. With the blameless man you will show yourself blameless. With the pure you will show yourself pure. And with the devious, you will show yourself shrewd. You will save the humble people, but your eyes are on the haughty that you may bring them down. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, only your word and the power of your spirit can change hearts, encourage your people. And so, Father, I pray that you would forgive me of anything in my life that would grieve or quench your spirit in this place. 
And Lord, I just ask that you would make much of Jesus and him alone. And I ask it in his name. Amen. So verses 26 through 28 are just a reminder that while you and I can fool the people we sit next to at church, uh, we can fool the people in public that God sees it all. God sees the struggles, God sees the victories, God sees the emotions, God sees the hidden things. And so God views it all. Nothing is out of his view. And so when we come to verses 29 today, David begins to explain how God provided for him. How God provided for him. And I want you to be thinking about in your own life how God has been there for you. How God worked in your life. Starting in verse 29 it says, For you are my lamp, O Lord. The Lord shall enlighten my darkness. For by you I can run against a troop. By my God I can leap over a wall. As for God, His way is perfect. The word of the Lord is proven. He is a shield to all who trust in Him. For who is God? except the Lord. And who is a rock except our God? God is my strength and power, and He makes my way perfect. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and sets me on my high places. He teaches my hands to make war so that my arms can bend a bow of bronze. You also have given me the shield of your salvation. Your gentleness has made me great. You enlarged my path under me, so my feet did not slip. In those eight verses, it says me, my, or I at a minimum of 15 times. Because what David wants you and I to know is that God cared about him. He cared about his situation, his struggles, his valleys, his, all that goes on. Because so many times we think of God as, as being abstract or that He's far away or that He's not concerned and, and how can He care about my problems and my situations. And what He wants you to see in this is it was personal to David. David knew the Lord. He knew what God had done for him. He was relying on the fact that God was the reason that he had made it. And I just want to call your attention to some of these because it covers the whole spectrum of what you and I need when we're struggling. In verse 29 it says, You are a lamp that enlightens the darkness. It gives us this idea that when valleys come in our life and when difficulties come and the battles that we face seem overwhelming, that God gives us understanding. I don't understand what I'm going through, God. I don't know why this has happened to me. God, I'm not sure that I can, that I can make it through this. God gives us the, the wisdom and the understanding to say, the battle is great, but God is with us. He goes on in verse 30 and says, I can run, I can leap. It gives us this idea of strength that when you go through the battles of life and when you go through the hardships, that God will give you the strength to endure. God will give you the strength to fight the battles that come to you. He goes on in verse 31 and says, His word is a shield. It is proven. God wants you to know not only will He give you the understanding as you go, the strength as you go, He will shield you from the fiery darts of the enemy. 
It's this idea of He's showing you where to run. He's giving you the strength to run. And as you run, He is following along, protecting you from the enemy attack. He goes on in verse 32 and says, God is a rock. He is saying that when battles come and difficulties come and the foundation of your life, the foundation of your marriage, the foundation of your finances begins to rattle, that God is the firm foundation. That He will not let you run. That He will not let you go into a path that might cause you harm. And so He gives us enlightenment. He gives us the strength. He gives us the protection. He gives us the solid ground. He goes on in verse 33 and says, strength and power. He says that when your way seems confused, when your way sees less than perfect, God will give you enough. God will give you that second wind. He will give you that extra oomph. In verse 34 it says, the feet like a deer, He sets me on high places. This idea of being able to avoid trouble, avoid things. It's literally how a deer can avoid everything during hunting season but run into the front of a semi. I'll never know. But it's this idea that this high, safe place, while God has showed you your path and while God has strengthened you on your path and while God is protecting you on your path and while God is making the ground solid under you and He's giving you that second strength to endure, that He is going to put you in a place to avoid the enemy. It goes on and says, He teaches my hand to make war. He has given me the shield of salvation. He has enlarged my path. He gives you this idea that whatever race you're running, whatever battle that you're facing, whatever obstacle that you are overcoming, whatever you are struggling with, that God is not going to watch you fall. God is not going to watch you self-destruct. What you need to endure the physical, the spiritual, the emotional battle that you are facing, God says, I have it covered. And what David says is, I've seen it through my whole life. God was with me. God was with me when Saul tried to kill me. God was with me when I was living in caves. God was with me when I had to leave my own country. God was with me when I had to leave my own family. God was with me when my own son rebelled against me. God was with me when I lost multiple children. God was with me when no one else was. And he said, all my life I can tell you that God has been with me. God has been faithful to me. Friends, today some of you need to be reminded of that. Friends, you need to be telling your children and your grandchildren who God is to you. What He's done for you. When He saved you. How He carried you through life's battles. Your kids ought to know your testimony. Your neighbors ought to know your testimony. Your grandkids ought to know how God's been with you through the ups and downs of your life. 2 Corinthians Chapter 9, verse 8 says it like this. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you. That you, you, that you and I, having all sufficiency in all things, may have an abundance of every good Work When God puts you in a situation that you cannot handle, 
When God puts you in a system, a situation that is too big for you emotionally or spiritually or physically, I want you to see that God has promised not to leave you in that situation with nothing. He says, I'm going to give you all sufficiency. That's everything you need. In how many things? All things. There's nothing in your life that you will face. There's nothing in your marriage that you will face. There's nothing in your your emotions and your spiritual walk that God says, I've brought you to this, and now figure it out. You're in the water, now sink or swim. But He doesn't say that. He says, I'll give you all sufficiency in all things, but don't miss that. Then He goes on and says, may have an abundance He says, if you think you're just going to scrape by, if you think you're just going to barely hang on by the skin of your teeth, no, God is willing to give you an abundance of what you need to make it through that trial in your marriage, to make it through that trial in your spiritual walk, to make it through that trial in your health battle, to make it through that loss that you faced. God says, I will give you everything you need and more. Second thing I want to show you, David talks about his defeated enemies. David gives us a list of all the people who thought they could and couldn't. All the people that tried to destroy him but didn't. Starts in verse 38. I have pursued my enemies and destroyed them. Neither did I turn back again till they were destroyed. And I have destroyed them and wounded them. So they could not rise. They have fallen under my feet. For you have armed me with strength for the battle. You have subdued under me those who rose against me. You had given me the necks of my enemies, so that I destroyed those who hated me. They looked, but there was none to save, even to the Lord, but He did not answer them. Then I beat them as fine as the dust of the earth, and trod them like dirt in the streets, and spread them out. You have delivered me from the strivings of my people. You have kept me as the head of the nations. As people I have not known shall serve me. The foreigners submit to me. As soon as they hear, they obey me. The foreigners fade away and come frightened from their hideouts. David just says, all these people tried to kill me. All these people tried to ruin me. But God, you gave me The victory. God, you didn't listen to their prayers, their petitions. God, you were for me. Now, I want to say this, and please don't think this is cruel. When the Bible talks about our enemies, and the Bible talks about enemies, we have to be very careful. Because one, we have one enemy, and that is Satan. But when a person rejects the things of God, and rejects the free gift of salvation. When they come to the end of their life, God does not just throw their sins in hell. God allows the person to go to hell. And friends, God is long-suffering. He is merciful. The Bible tells us that Jesus died upon the cross and was buried and rose again to save you from your sins. And I believe the Bible unapologetically teaches that when Jesus died upon the cross, He died upon the cross for the sins of the whole world. And whosoever will may come. But if you have someone in your life 
or if you are here today and know, know Jesus, when you take your last breath as a lost person, you are an enemy of God. There is no second chances. There is no turning things around. In that moment, each and every one of us stands before the Lord. And so when we see this about enemies, we need to know something. That yes, you are going to have enemies in your life. You are going to have people that don't love you, don't care about you, want to destroy you. And what David says here in these verses of 46 and 45 and 44 is that I didn't defeat my enemies, it was all God. He says the only reason I'm still here today is because God fought for me. The only reason I'm still king is because God kept me on the throne. The only reason I'm still a part of the family of God is because God kept me in the palm of His hand. The only reason Saul didn't kill me, the Philistines couldn't catch me, my son couldn't destroy me, my enemies couldn't roll over me, is because God had a purpose and a plan for my life, and He was the one. Friends, you have to believe that no matter how big the storm in your life is, no matter how many enemies are against you, no matter what they're saying about you uptown or online, the Lord is with you. James, the fourth chapter, says it like this, starting in verse 6. But He gives more grace. Therefore, He says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. If you want to know whether God will fight for you or against you, you have to ask yourself, have you humbled yourself? Friends, today, if you read the Word of God and say, I know that's what it says, but it doesn't apply to me, I know that's what the Bible says, but I, I disagree with it. What you have said is I'm too proud to submit to the things of God. And I want you to look up here and hear it from me. God will fight against you. He will fight against a church that becomes prideful. God will fight against a person that becomes prideful. God will fight against a family that becomes prideful. But who does God fight for? It says the humble. Friends, if you and I will approach God and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. I know I'm not perfect. I know I don't have the answers. God, I need you. I need your protection. I need your provision. I need your guidance. God, I need you to lead me and to take care of me. God, I need you in my marriage. God, I need you as a parent. Lord, I need you as an employee. God, I need you. It says right there, if you'll draw near to Him, He will draw near to you. The only thing that makes you and the Lord distant in your feelings toward Him is you and me. When you and I run from God, the things of God, you say, how do I draw near to God in a way that He will respond? It says right there, you've got to purify your hearts and clean your hands. What that means is you've got to ask for forgiveness. You've got to say, Lord, I know I've sinned. Forgive me. And then you've got to turn from your wicked ways. You've got to say, God, I know it's sin. I'm not going to keep doing it. I want your forgiveness, and I'm going to turn. Third and final thing. Once again, don't get your hopes up. I'm sure it's going to be a long point. 
David reminds us about the faithfulness of God. David told us about how God had provided for him. David told us about the enemies that God had destroyed. But starting in verse 47, David is just going to say, I want to tell you about my God. I want to talk to you about my Savior. I want to talk to you about my King. And so in verse 47, he says, The Lord lives. He says, we don't worship a dead God. We worship a living God who is powerful and mighty and is active in the lives of His people. Blessed be my rock. Let God be exalted. The rock of my salvation. It is God who avenges me and subdues the people under me. He delivers me from my enemies. You also lift me up above those who rise against me. You have delivered me from the violent man, therefore. Just stop right there. Because what he does is he recaps this whole chapter. He says, God, you are everything to me. You are, it's not about the king dumb. It's not about the throne. It's not about the armies. It's not about the wealth. It's not about the women. God, as I look back on my life, it's about you. God, you are my everything. And you have taken care of me through everything. He says, you have just been so good to me. What David is realizing here is he's having what we would call a come to Jesus moment. He's just basking in the goodness of God. He's finally really focused in on what God has done for him and who God is and how God works. And he says, therefore. And why I say that is this. Because today the greatest problem that you and I have in our life is we forget about how good God has been to us. We get over the fact that God has saved us. We get into the church routine, the Sunday school routine, and we check it off our box. We read our Bible because we're trying to read through it in a year, and so we don't really enjoy it and study it. We just check it off. And what David wants you to know is all the activity, all the stuff, none of it matters if you don't really know who God is. If you don't really remember how He carried you when you couldn't walk. How He was with you when no one else was. How He stayed beside you when everyone else left you. How God intervened and healed and worked in your life. He says, I've realized it all. Therefore, therefore I will give thanks to you. What He's saying is, when you realize what God has done for you and who He is, you will be thankful. You want to know why there are so many miserable people in church? I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about in church. Because we're not thankful. We're spoiled. We're rotten. The church exists for us. God exists for me. And instead it should be, God, you have been so good to me. God, you have blessed me. You've taken care of me. Lord, you have worked in my life. God, I didn't deserve any of it. And God, you have been so Good to me. You say, that's not hard, Jake. I can do that at church. I can do that with my family. They're mostly Christians. But look what it goes on to say. O Lord among the Gentiles. 
He's saying, no, I'm going to praise God, even the people that don't agree with me. Even the people that don't vote like me, dress like me, look like me, talk like me. In the Jews' day, the Gentiles were worthless people. He says, I'm going to praise God in front of everybody. It don't matter who you are or where you are. I am going to tell you about how good God has been to me. You say, Pastor, I don't believe that. I believe in a private faith. Look up here. What that means is you are living in sin and are ashamed of the Lord. I don't want to push my faith on anybody. Friends, when God's been good to you, you don't have a choice. It's coming out. It, you're going to have every opportunity to say, hey, God's been good to me. God's blessed me. God can be with you. God can take care of you. You say, Jake, I don't see that anywhere in the New Testament. I'm glad you asked. Literally, the great commission is to go into all the world. To everybody, to people all over the globe with the good news about how Jesus died for you, how He loves you, how He wants to save you from your sins. And this is the part that really rattled the first service the wrong way. And sing praises to your name. Because what happened is, I said, so if you realize what God's done to you, and you're really thankful for what God's done for you, you're going to... Oh! You did better. It took me like six times, and finally four people went, sing. You say, Jake, I don't sing good. I got a voice that sounds like dead cats in a bag full of water. Sing anyway. You say, what about the people in front of me? Don't worry about it. If you don't want them to hear you, come sit up front. Nobody in front of you. Come sit on my right. I can't hear you. Sing the goodness and gracious and mercies of God. You say, Jake, I'm just not going to do it. Then what you're doing is saying, God, you don't deserve it. This is where this first service got really quiet. And I said, it's okay. I'm coming back one more time today for sure. And what has happened in this church, and let's just be honest, you've sat through some song services. We can blame it on the song leader. We can blame it on the songs. We can blame it on the choir. But you know who's to blame? We are. Because we're not thanking God for what He's done. I'm going to sit over there, and as long as I'm not dizzy and falling on the floor like some Sundays, I'm going to sing. And if Jamie looks over and says, well, you were singing loud today. It's not usually good, it's loud. And I'm okay with that. Why? Because God has been good to me. And He deserves it. And if the person next to you is someone you don't like and you sing bad, sing even louder. Heavy, hot coals on your enemies. You say, well, Jake, I just don't have nothing to praise God for. My dog got run over. My cat's leg got broke. I've got three ingrown toenails. I'm going bald. Got more hair powder up here than hair at this point. You say, Jake, I'm really struggling. I've got a health crisis. Our marriage is on the rocks. Our finances are in shambles. I've been hurt by the church. I cannot praise him. Verse 51 is for you. And it's for me when I want to pout. Verse 51 says this. He is the tower of salvation to you, to his king, and shows mercy to his anointed, to David and his descendants forever.
What he says is, if you can't look back in your life and praise God, or if what you're going through today is taking your joy from you, He is the strong tower of salvation. And if you're here today and you've been saved, if you've truly repented of your sins, called upon the name of the Lord, and you have been forgiven, that's enough to praise Him for all of eternity. And Satan cannot take that away from you once you've got it. He has put you in the palm of His hand. Nothing will separate you from the love of God. He has written your name in the Lamb's book of life and you can't erase it. And what David says is, I have all this to praise God about, but if I didn't, He has saved me. He is the salvation that I am relying on. And He is worthy to be praised. And so there's two things I can say. If you can't worship, it's because you're lost or you will not give God the thanks and praise that He deserves. There's no other excuse. No other thing we can say. Say, I'm tired, I'm grouchy, the kids fought all the way to church, my husband didn't show up today. All of that is serious and I know that. But if you know Him, if you really know Him, it changes everything. Psalms, the 36th chapter, verse 5 and 6, says it like this. Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve man and beast. The psalmist says the mercy and faithfulness of God is enough. The mercy that God forgave you and the faithfulness that God has not left us is enough. Zephaniah verse, chapter 3, verse 17, the last verse I have, because some people really didn't like the whole singing thing. And so I thought I'd add just a little more fuel to the fire. In Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17, it says, The Lord your God in your midst. He says, God is with us. God is amongst us. The mighty one will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you with his love. And I could just see on their face. Some are like, that's, that's for me, I'm a quiet one. God has quieted me during worship. God has quieted me during the singing. What that means is this. When you and I go through the valleys of life, our emotions go through all kinds of stuff. We can have fear. We can have doubt. We can have grief that overwhelms us. We can have anger and bitterness. And all of those emotions that affect our walk with God is what we have. And let's just be honest. We can all be there. We can have unforgiveness. We can have bitterness. And what this means is that God can reach down into your life and give you peace through it all. And when you begin to worship Him, you can let all the other stuff that you brought with you, all the other baggage, all the other hurt, all the other pain, God can reach down into your life and give you a calm assurance that the world cannot take. Peace undeniable, joy unspeakable. He changes the inside of you to have real rest. 
real peace, real joy. And then when that happens, he will rejoice over you with singing. You see, the reason we can't worship and we can't let God use us to worship him is because there's something wrong in our relationship with him. But it doesn't have to stay that way. Friends, God wants you to remember the good works he has done in your life. God wants you to remember how he's been faithful. And when you and I can finally grasp that, that's when everything begins to change. No matter the storm, no matter the enemy, no matter the fear, we can see victory. And it comes because Jesus loves us. And so what that means is this. First and foremost, if you're here today, there is no other way to be saved other than repenting and calling on the name of the Lord. You can't baptize your way to heaven. You can't church membership your way to heaven. You can't Lord's Supper your way to heaven. You can't be a good enough person to go to heaven. The Bible says you must be born again. You must, under the conviction of the Holy Spirit, realize this morning that I am a sinner. And Jesus, you are perfect. You died on the cross in my place that I might be forgiven. And the Bible says if you'll repent, that means telling God that you're a sinner, asking for His forgiveness, and accepting Him as the Lord and Savior of your life, committing to live for Him, then He will save you. The second thing is you say, Jake, I'm a Christian, but I am at rock bottom. Our marriage can't get any worse. Our finances can't get any worse. I've got sin and bitterness and unforgiveness in my life. Jake, it just can't be any worse. Remember what David said, that God is here with you and will work if you will let him. But don't forget, David let God fight his battles for him. Sometimes we don't. When Saul threw that spear at David to kill him, he could have took it out of the wall and threw it back, but David said no. I'm not fighting this battle. God can. When he sent those men into David's home to murder him, David could have hid and waited and murdered them, but David fled. When David was hiding in the back of a cave and King Saul went into the cave to relieve himself, David could have snuck up and killed him, but he said, no, God's going to fight this battle for me. When Saul was sleeping and his guards were sleeping, David could have snuck down into the camp and killed him, but he said, no, God doesn't want that. Friends, today if you want God to work in your marriage and really change hearts, you've got to quit doing things your way and say, God, I'm going to be the husband you want me to be. I'm going to be the wife you want me to be, God. I'm going to do what you've asked me to do and I'm going to trust you. You'll fight the battle. If you want to reach that lost family and friends in your life, you have to commit to say, I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to tell them about them. And if I fail, I'm going to apologize. I'm going to do, God, what you've asked me to do and trust you to fight the battle for me. I believe he will. And David says, I am living proof that you can make a mess out of everything and God doesn't throw you away. David messed up as a father. He messed up as a husband. He messed up as a king. And yet God didn't throw him away. And he won't you either if you'll just come to him honestly and humbly and watch what he can do.
Father, we thank you so very, very much for your word, not mine. Lord, you know what we need in this place today. God, I pray for the lost man, woman, boy, or girl, that your Holy Spirit is convicting, not me, but you. Father, I pray that you would draw them, show them that they can be saved, and today would be that day. Father, for whatever issues, situations are going on in this place, I pray, Lord, that you would speak into it, that you would work, and God, you would break chains, encourage whatever needs to happen, all for your glory. And Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.